morning, uh, we're continuing in our, our Christmas messages, and uh, we'll be jumping around a little bit this morning. We're going to be looking at three different accounts in the, in the Gospels of, of the Christmas story, and um, we're going to be titling this, The Christmas Story Revisited. Last week, we looked at Christmas past, remembering the Lord's death as we had shared communion together, looked into Hebrews, and we remembered that his um, death was made possible by his birth. And then we looked also the death was made meaningful by his life, the perfect life that he lived here on earth. And then also it was monumental, the death of Christ was monumental by his resurrection. And then we looked at the Christmas present and we said the word of God calls us to walk in his steps daily. And he left us here that we would continue his work and his legacy. And we desire to do that as believers. And then Christmas future talks about remembering his soon return. Uh, how glorious it would be when Christ returns for us. Amen? Amen. And uh, it was the Savior who came into the world that will take us out of the world. That's just an incredible thought. But, you know, I think Christmas, we could all agree, is probably one of the most celebrated holidays of all the holidays in the world. Um, More than the holidays that focus on people. Um, More than the holidays that even focus on national pride and patriotic things. But it's, I think at the same time, probably one of the most misunderstood holidays (laughs) by most people. A lot of holidays, they honor famous people. They commemorate a historical event or something like that, President's Day, Independence Day, Veterans Day, um, just celebrated the uh, commemoration of Pearl Harbor the other day. Um, Christmas, however, is different than all those holidays. It's completely different. It honors a divine person. It honors a divine person. And it, and it reminds us, it gives us re- reminders of a divine event that happened in history. It does not celebrate a human achievement, as most other celebrations do. But it celebrates a divine accomplishment. And we need to be reminded of that, because in all the images of Santa Claus and crowded shopping malls and office parties and all kinds of things that people do this time of year, gift-giving, holiday decoration, alcohol consumption, family get-togethers, all kinds of things. All those things, even though some of them, maybe not the alcohol consumption, but the other things are good. It's okay. But they don't reflect, I don't believe, the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, There's nothing man-made about the Christmas story. It's the most miraculous, the most compelling narrative in all of history. And as the Holy Spirit relates this dramatic story of the birth of Jesus Christ, we want to attune our hearts and our minds so that we don't miss the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, To those who truly celebrate Christmas, we do so by remembering that profound reality that God sent his, what, his only begotten son, right? His only son to die for the sins of all who would put their faith in him. And today we're beginning this kind of mini-series as part of our Christmas messages, The Christmas Story Revisited. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to read the entire Christmas story, and we're going to examine what each of the major characters in the narratives had to endure. Had to endure. And hopefully we'll begin to maybe see ourselves in their stories as well as see all the opportunities within our own disappointments at Christmas time. For many, including myself, growing up, Christmas held that, I don't know, that magic, that mystery. I remember getting so excited when Christmas was coming. And some couple years in our family, when I was just small, I remember my sister-in-law wouldn't put up anything until Christmas Eve when all the kids were asleep. (laughs) And we always hated that (laughs) because 
in a way, it was like, I mean, anticipation of Christmas morning, but at the same time, you know, a lot of decorations weren't up until all the kids went to sleep. They came back from midnight mass, and they'd stay up all night decorating the house. I remember walking down the steps and seeing all the lights and the tree, and wow, just incredible. Well, hopefully we'll begin to see ourselves in these, these, uh, these characters that we're going to study. Because Christmas time is a time of gifts, it's a time of cheer. But a lot of times as we get older, some of the mystery and magic leave <laughs> the Christmas season. And as we progress in life, many of us experience disappointments associated with this holiday. Maybe you have lost a loved one around this time of the year. Makes this season especially difficult, maybe even bitter. Or maybe you have a difficult family member that you know you just dread seeing every year. <laughs> Disappointments comes in all kinds of forms and fashions. It's even sometime something as simple as maybe the magic of the season never lived up, never lives up to what you remember it to be as a child. You might experience disappointments around Christmas time. Well, the good news is you're not alone. You're not alone. A lot of people experience disappointments this time of the year. It seems every person touched by the events of Jesus' birth had to deal with hardship. We don't think of that. We don't see that in the children's plays and the musicals and all those things. But it's true. They had to deal with hardship. They even had to deal with disappointment at times in their own way. And that's what I want to look at this year as we look at the Christmas story revisited. Because on the other side of that disappointment, in every story, there was a great miracle that happened. And we often do the Christmas story a disservice due to its familiarity. We all know what it's about. We all have heard it a million times. We've read it Christmas Eve and blah, 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 blah. And more times than not, we, I think, rom- romanticize, ro- roman- <laughs> romanticize, thank you, the events, I'll have to edit the tape, <laughs> the events of the nativity. We romanticize the events of the nativity as we put them on postcards. We do see it in children's plays, and we sing about them in cute little Christmas carols. But you know what? If we actually had to live through the events of the Christmas story ourselves, we would have felt, I am no doubt about this, we would have felt times of dread and disappointment and even panic. I mean, think about it. Let's try to imagine ourselves in their shoes, in the characters that were involved in the Christmas story. I keep on saying story. I should say be, be saying biblical account because <laughs> it's not just a story. It's God's word, and it happened. But think about it as we imagine ourselves in their shoes. Think about Mary, this teenage girl with her future ahead of her, that was rocked, literally rocked by scandal. Even though she didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) Or think about a newlywed couple who was uprooted from their home, their family, and their support system during the most inconvenient time of their lives. Or even think of a king who was already losing his power to the Roman occupation think about it when he discovered a new king was born what must have gone on in his heart in the fear that maybe that new king would even have greater authority than he it seems that every life was touched by the events of Christmas and they all experienced inconvenience and sometimes even hardship Yet, through all those inconveniences and hardships, we see great opportunities 
that God presents to them. And so opportunities for, for peace among chaos, opportunities for powerful influence, opportunities even for, ultimately, for the salvation of all humanity. Disappointment, reputation, control, interruptions. All those things are part of the fabric of the Christmas story that we miss in so many times our, our secular approach and our familiar approach to the story itself. I want you to be thinking of this as we go through this series. Disappointments in life are opportunities to worship. Disappointments in life are opportunities to worship, to trust God, and to encourage others. When we're faced with disappointments, when we're faced with hardships, there's an opportunity there, I guarantee it, for us to worship, to trust God, and to encourage others. The unfortunate thing is many of us get stuck in the disappointments of life. We get stuck in the pain of life. But as believers, we have the opportunity to to channel those troubles, those hardships, into our understanding of a bigger purpose that God has for us. So with that as our introduction, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we'll read the first account here of the passage that we'll be looking at. Luke chapter 1, verse, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 26. First point here is that disappointments are opportunities to worship. Disappointments are opportunities to worship. Follow along in your Bibles as I read this for us. In the sixth month, beginning in verse 26, Luke 1, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing, look at this, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, we like to think of this as some glorious event, which it was. But when I look at Mary, her response to her pregnancy was surprising. I mean, even though her whole life was turned upside down by this news, she responded from a place of pure obedience. I mean, she wasn't in a place to get pregnant. (laughs) They would have looked down on that. They have not joined together as husband and wife yet. How is she going to be pregnant? Can you imagine the panic, the fear that was in her heart? After clearly living a life of purity up to this point, what are people going to think? See, Scripture only records her obedient response. But I think you have to believe that she experienced some type of hesitation. (laughs) I mean, you can kind of read it there in the in the text, because it says, do not be afraid. So clearly she was. 
But I think any of us would be afraid if an angel appeared to us, frankly. When the angels appeared in Scripture, there was always fear involved. But her life would be changed forever at this announcement. Her future, her relational status, her reputation. They all seem to be hanging in the balance now. I mean, she might have even gone through the five stages of grief before eventually accepting this thing. Scripture doesn't tell us. I'm sure she had some hesitation. But she didn't stop there. She didn't stop at the hesitation. She didn't stop at the hardship. What did she do? She added faith to her acceptance of the message. And what happened to that? That turned into gratitude. And what happened to that? That turned into worship. In Luke chapter 1, just down a couple verses, in verse 46... We can see her song of worship to God after this event. I mean, most people would be curled up going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm pregnant and I don't have a husband. What are people going to think? It says in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his name, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. I don't know if you've ever anticipated a Christmas gift and never got it. But I remember one Christmas morning, I let everybody know in my family that I wanted a mini bike for Christmas. I even knew what kind. It was, it was a chibi mini, mini bike. My brother sold them. He, was, he sold Articots, snowmobiles, and all kinds of things. So I put my order in for this, this mini bike. And I didn't get the chibi. I got an Articat mini bike that they kind of made on the side. <laughs> and it was okay. It was great. I mean, but... I remember waking up Christmas morning thinking, I know it's going to be under the tree. I just know a big bow on it. I'll be riding it. Well, I get there's nothing, no mini bike. And I remember thinking, what? Wait a minute. I mean, I know I told everybody I wanted a, a mini bike. I mean, come on. Everybody else is getting what they want. And I remember my family kind of having fun with me that Christmas, saying, well, there's, a, there's some stuff there on the tree. You know, I, said, I don't want that stuff. I want the mini bike. Where are the wheels and the, you know, wasn't there. And I remember opening up those gifts almost reluctantly. And some of them were nice gifts, but it wasn't a mini bike. And after everybody was done and over, it was kind of like, you know, the Christmas story, you know, oh, what's that over there in the corner, you know, with a BB gun with a compass in the stock kind of a thing. I don't know, I forget how they did it, but I think they sent me out to get some wood for the fire or something. When I walked outside, there was a mini bike. All ready to go. Big bow on it. I thought, wow. When Stark didn't have any gas in it, I was still in my pajamas. It was Pennsylvania. It's snowing. I'm riding this mini bike, man. We got the gas out of the garage. We put it in the grass can. Started it up. I started. I ran up and down the driveway a couple times. And I realized, whoa, something smells like that. And the gas tank was leaking. So we had to get it fixed. But at least I got to ride it. You know? And, and sometimes... You know, when we, when we anticipate something and we don't get it, we're, our hearts are filled with disappointment. And, you know, we have to stop. And as believers, I think we have to use those times of disappointment to say, okay, wait a minute. God's in control of this. He knew that I would have this disappointment in my life, whatever it might be. 
you know what, how can I use this to worship him? How can I use this to turn this around for his glory? See, we won't always feel like worshiping God, especially when we're filled with disappointment. (laughs) We don't feel like worshiping God. But see, that's that hidden option that's available to believers. We can worship God even in our hardship, in our trials. As a matter of fact, disappointment, I would even go as far as to say, offers us a chance to get closer to God. Why? Because all of a sudden, man, we're on our knees. We're praying about this situation, whatever, whatever it is. See, the greatest work God wants to do in our world will often come about because of people's proper responses to disappointment, to hardship. That's when God can really work. When we choose to worship instead of complain. When we get to be part of those great plans that God has for us, we should give him the glory. We have the opportunity to worship God with our words, to worship him through giving to others, and to worship him by loving even the unlovable. So be reminded that disappointments are opportunities to worship. Secondly, disappointments are opportunities to trust. Turn over to Matthew, just a couple pages to the left in your Bible there. Matthew chapter 1. And we look at the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ. Verse 18, Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, Matthew says, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph was, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, there's those words again, to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus When you look throughout the Bible, you can find a lot of spectacular births that happened. I mean, amazing things. You think of the birth of of Isaac to a previously barren woman who was almost 100 years of age. Talk about a miracle. I mean, she laughed at the thought of having children at that age. But it was a miraculous event. Or you think of the woman of of Manoah's barren wife that was open, and she gave birth to Samson, who literally was able to turn a lion inside out with his bare hands, kill a thousand men, even pull down a pagan temple. Incredible. Or the birth of Samuel, the prophet. We saw this when we went through the book, the books of Samuel. The prophet, the anointer of the kings. She was, he was, born of the barren Hannah. Remember, her, na- her, her womb was shut up by the Lord. And that, that birth revealed divine providential care and power. Or even Elizabeth, as we see, she was barren, but through the power of God, she gave birth to John the Baptist. And Jesus, by the way, said of John the Baptist this. Jesus said that John the Baptist... He said, there had yet been no one greater. Can you imagine? No one among those born of a woman. Matthew eleven eleven. See, but the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ surpasses all of those miraculous births. And that's why so many times people try to fantasize or create a, a myth 
about virgin birth. You see it in all the different world religions, their own mythology. Oh, yes, our God was born of a virgin too. You know, it's possible that both Joseph and Mary were rather pretty young, probably in their teens, when they were betrothed. Um, Girls were often betrothed as young as 12 or 13. In our culture, that seems way too young. I mean, I think of my granddaughter Gabby getting betrothed to somebody. I mean, I'd freak out. And the boys, when they were several years older than that, but by Jewish custom, you have to understand here, the betrothal signified more than just an engagement. Like today we think of an engagement, you know, they gave him the ring and we get engaged. It's so much more than that. Because the Hebrew marriage involves two stages, the betrothal and the marriage ceremony. And the marriage was almost always arranged by the families of the bride and groom. It's actually a very biblical thing, you could say, to have an arranged marriage. Some people, you look down on cultures that do that, and we say, how could they do that? And a lot of times they weren't even consulted. You know, do you like her or not? I mean, you just showed up and, yep, that's, that's who you're marrying. <laughs> it was a step of faith. See, a contract was made. It was sealed by payment, like a dowry. And it was paid by the groom or his family to the, bridal's, to the bride's father. And that dowry served to compensate the father for wedding expenses and to provide a type of insurance for the bride in the event that the groom became dissatisfied and divorced her. That's how it worked out. The contract was considered binding as soon as it was made. There was no waiting time. And the man and the woman were considered legally married, even though there was no marriage ceremony yet. And the consummation of the marriage often did not occur until as much as a year later. And the betrothal period served as a time of, you might think of it as a time of probation. (laughs) A, a, A testing of their fidelity one to another. And during that period, the bride and the groom usually had very, very little, if any, social contact with each other. And so Joseph and Mary had experienced no sexual relationships at all with each other. As the phrase before they came together indicates in the text there. And sexual purity is highly regarded in Scripture in both the New and the Old Testament. And so Mary's Mary's virginity was really an important evidence of her devotion to the Lord, of her godliness. That's really what it was. And so her reason for questioning Gabriel's announcement of her conception was the fact that she knew, wait a minute, I'm a virgin. I can't have a baby. It's impossible. And the testimony protects from accusation that Jesus was born of some other, of some other man. But Mary's virginity protected a great deal more than her own moral character, her own reputation, and the legitimacy of Jesus' birth. It protected the nature, the very nature of the divine Son of God. The child is never called, if you look throughout Scripture, never called the son of Joseph, ever. And as a matter of fact, Joseph is never called Jesus' father. As a matter of fact, Joseph is not even mentioned in Mary's song of praise. Not even mentioned. I mean, had Jesus been conceived by an act of a man, whether Joseph or anybody else, he could not have been divine. He could not have been the Savior. So God had to come up with this plan and carry it out to protect the nature of his son being born. I mean, his all, all his claims about himself, if that were the case, if he wasn't born of a virgin, would have been lies. His resurrection, his ascension, they would have been hoax. And you know what? In the end, the mankind that we know would be forever damned and remain lost. 
Well, we read that scripture and we realized that Joseph discovered that his fiancée was pregnant. Probably not a good thing because he didn't have relationships with her. So he's probably scratching his head going, well, this doesn't make any sense. But, I mean, the only rational explanation was that she had dishonored their promise to be married and had been with another man. That's just logically what you would have thought. Can you imagine the disappointment in Joseph's heart? The struggle that he must have gone through. He loved Mary. And he himself had lived a godly, pure life up to this point. But things aren't looking good. (laughs) Their character is on the line. What are people going to think? And when the news came that seemed to derail all of his hard work, all the effort that he put into staying pure and preparing himself for marriage, I mean, it would have been very natural to take the easy way out and break off the engagement to issue a divorce, because that's what it would have been. That was his right. Matter of fact, that's what the Scripture says. I mean, maybe somebody else would have decided, well, you know what? Purity doesn't seem like it's on the table anymore, so who cares about a righteous marriage? I mean, even when the angel appeared to Joseph and told him that this was God's plan, it didn't change the reality, think of this, it didn't change the reality of what those outside that situation would think. I mean, maybe Joseph knew this was God and the angel talking to him and it was all God's plan, but nobody else did. So all this progress to protect his reputation, his character was lost Yet Joseph, just like Mary, what did he choose? He chose to what? To trust. He chose to trust. A lot of times during Christmas time, many people experience financial issues. We've all gone through the process of setting the budget. I mean, every year my daughter tells me, you're only buying the grandkids this much. You know, put a lemon on it. They don't need anything more. Usually we kind of run over the budget a little bit. There's more spending, more unexpected parties, gifts that you weren't planning to buy. I mean, it's Christmas. Maybe other emergencies that come up. It's like life has a way of laughing at our best intentions. Circumstances easily get out of control. And it feels like the progress, all the progress you made during the beginning of the year goes out the window at Christmas time with some folks. That seems, unfortunately, to be one of the promises of Christmas. But Christmas isn't about buying. Christmas isn't about financial stress. Trusting God's plan for Christmas and not letting outside opinions and pressures influence the holiday holiday can really free us up. From all those cares. We can still buy gifts. But we don't have to live up to some budget number or some standard that we set. A lot of times simple gifts actually go further than elaborate gifts. I mean, Joseph might have felt like all his progress toward a godly marriage was thrown out the window, gone. And from an outside perspective... Maybe it looked this way, but it wasn't. It wasn't. God knew it wasn't. And see, we need to trust God's plan for our life, no matter what it is. If we bought into that outside pressure of what our lives are supposed to look like, we can stop that. That doesn't really matter. We can choose to model our life after God's plan for us. And he has a plan for us, each of us, as individuals, as couples, as families. Then even if it feels like we're losing progress, we can trust that God is somehow moving us forward regardless of what it looks like or what it feels like. Remember, disappointments are opportunities to worship, but disappointments are also opportunities to trust. And then thirdly, we want to turn over back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. And this is where Mary goes to visit her cousin, 
uh, Elizabeth, and who's pregnant, miraculously. And the third point here is disappointments are opportunities to encourage others. Disappointments are opportunities to encourage others. Look at what it says here, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste. That means she went quick (laughs) into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then jump down to verse 56. It says, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. You know, one thing I see here is that faith, faith is the essence of our Christian life. At the outset, we see very clearly in Romans chapter 3 that we are, as believers, we're justified by what? By faith, apart from the law. Paul wrote of the living the Christian life, he said in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? By faith in the Son of God. Or we see in John chapter 20, verse 29, that Jesus said to Thomas, who was a doubter, but so were the other ones, by the way. He gets the short end of the deal here, but... He said to Thomas, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who what? Did not see and yet believed. Guess who that is? That's us. We're blessed as a result of that. See, because of our faith. Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What? The conviction of things not seen. And he goes on there and says that apart from faith... It's impossible to please God. Whatever's not of faith is of sin. We're called in 2 Corinthians to walk by faith and not by sight. Even when we're experiencing doubts. Even when we're experiencing discouragement. Even when we're in the midst of trials and tribulation. The Bible makes it clear through all redemptive history that God has been an encourager to his people. He confirms, he strengthens their faith. Mary had just received this message from the angel Gabriel. I mean, an astonish, astonishing, unimaginable, incomprehensible message, an announcement. His message to her was that she would be the mother of the Messiah, the Son of God, incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was her response? Mary responded humbly. She responded obediently. She responded submissively. She responded with a heart of trust. They said, you know what, God, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I trust what you're saying. Mary didn't ask for a sign. She didn't say, well, how do I know, you know, wait a minute, you know. She didn't ask for a sign from God. I mean, even though this startling and unsettling message, how it was to her, I mean, it's just an incredible message. Guess what? God gave her a sign. Even though she didn't ask one, he gave her a sign. And it was communicated by Gabriel. It was another conception, miracle. And that involved her older relative, Elizabeth. What's interesting is when you look at Luke's gospel, 
It opens with the stories of these two miracles, one involving a barren older woman past childbearing age, the other a young, unmarried virgin in her early teens. The child of the first would be the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. The second would be the Messiah himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, until this point, the two narratives were separated because Elizabeth lived in the hill country of Judah and the vicinity of Jerusalem, while Mary lived in this small Galilean village of Nazareth, approximately 60 miles to the north. But in this passage, as we see these, these two stories of miraculous events coming together, when Mary visits Elizabeth. I mean, John MacArthur points this out. He says, even though these two incidents, though separated in time and location, they have several striking parallels. And he lists them. He says, for example, both accounts began by introducing the parents, or in Mary's case, the parent. (laughs) Secondly, both accounts state the obstacles of childbearing. In other words, Elizabeth's barrenness, Mary's virginity. Thirdly, Gabriel arrived and his appearing frightened the one to whom he appeared in both accounts. Fourth, Gabriel reassured the one to whom he appeared. Fifthly, Gabriel in both accounts promised a son. The sixth thing we see is Gabriel's, he he gave the son's name and described his greatness in both accounts. Seven, there was an objection. Zachariah's unbelief, Mary's lack of understanding. Finally, Gabriel gave a sign that what he had spoken would come true. See, Luke's brief description of Mary meeting Elizabeth emphasizes God's confirmation of his promise to Mary that she would conceive a son while she was yet still a virgin. See, when you read the story of Mary visiting Elizabeth, it's, it's easy to believe Maybe she, she went 60 miles to the north to hide out while she was pregnant. Just <laughs> then the neighbors wouldn't see. <laughs> Up in the hill country, away from those who knew her. But really, based on geography, the travel back in this period, it's unlikely that Mary was very far along in her pregnancy when this happened. It's much more likely that she went to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, because she was experiencing something similar. Elizabeth's pregnancy was such a miraculous event, and here's Mary visiting Elizabeth and really became a source of encouragement to both of them. Elizabeth felt her baby leaping in her womb, which indicated a significant moment, and that helped to confirm what Mary had indeed heard from the angel. Think of it this way. Have you ever seen a funeral or a state funeral where you see all the presidents there, living presidents? And usually they're sitting in the front row with their wives. And you know, when you watch that scene, generally, at some point, they're talking to one another. And you're thinking, okay, wait, you got Republicans, you got liberals, you got conservatives, you got Democrats, and they're, they're just like talking to each other like, like friends, And yet when they were running for president, they probably said all these things about the other person. But that kind of goes away at that point. They're all in the same room. And even though they may have had completely opposing platforms, maybe even they've had negative things to say about each other, it almost seems like it's easy for them to interact. And the reason is because they both have experiences. All the presidents, living presidents, they all have the same experience in life. They're president of the United States. And few people will ever understand what they've gone through, what what they do, all those things. But they, they understand each other rather well. See, disappointments can become opportunities to relate with someone in a way uncommon to most people. 
Similar experiences can often unite even those who are very different from each other. It could be a disruption in your family. It could be a disruption in your health. It could be a disruption in your financial situation or your job situation. And rather than, as a believer, sit there and say, why are you allowing this to happen to me, God? Embrace it. Because maybe God wants you to go through that so 10 years down the road you can, you can encourage a brother or sister in the Lord that is going through the exact same things. And you can look back and say, you know what? I know exactly what you're feeling right now. I know exactly what you're dealing with. Because I went through the same thing 10 years ago. But I'm here today to tell you our God is faithful. He will take you through this. Embrace it for all it's worth. Sometimes disappointments aren't as much about us as we feel they are. Maybe they're actually something God wants us to use to accomplish his purposes on earth. When we can relate with someone in love, having a similar experience, you have the opportunity to encourage that person. I think that's one thing that's helped me so much as a a chaplain. When you're called out to a call and somebody's lost a loved one. You know, I know the last thing that I would ever say to someone who's lost a loved one is, well, they're in a better place now. Even though it's maybe said innocently, those are the wrong words to say to somebody who just lost a loved one. They don't want to hear that. And those of you who know and gone through that, you you understand what I'm saying. Even though it may be true. Well, how why is that? Because I've experienced that multiple times in my life. And there's other experiences that we go through. We can be we can be we can become part of the healing process for other people which may ultimately even lead them to God as well. If we understand that disappointments and hardships are part of God's plan. Well, in conclusion, we all experience disappointments. Even those who God is using to fulfill his plan, Disappointments aren't setbacks. Remember that. They're not setbacks. They're they're tools that God can use. And when we submit to our disappointments to him by worshiping, by trusting, by encouraging others, as we've seen here this morning, guess what? We're able to overcome those disappointments. You can actually use them as fuel for your success rather than failure. Father, we thank you for your message this morning. We thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for this time of the year that we can look at this Christmas story and maybe take away the romance and really begin to understand what you have for us there. I pray that we would walk away with a different perspective, having walked in their shoes just for these brief moments whether it's a young virgin teenager who has to deal with the ostracization and the judgment of society upon her being pregnant out of wedlock, or even the husband who finds that even though he's pure, loves his wife, she's pregnant, what to do? There's so many different ways that this can apply to us. But Lord, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it wasn't for that gift, we would have no way of having our relationship with you restored, which was broken, the Word of God says, by our sin. And there's not a soul in this place today that has not sinned in some fashion before a holy God. Whether you told a lie, whether you used God's name in vain, whether you took something that wasn't Yours, irrespective of its value, maybe it was a thought, maybe it was a deed that you did, but somehow, I guarantee you, you have sinned because the Bible said that 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none who seeks God. No, not one. And that's why we're so thankful that you seek us, Lord. That we only love you because you first loved us. See, the message of Christmas is simply this. If you're here this morning, the fact that God has set his love upon you. He desires you to turn to him for the forgiveness of your sin and have that relationship with him restored. And that's done by a, through a prayer, through a request to God to cry out to him, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Express your need to him this morning. He will save you. That's a verse and a promise that comes directly from God's word. You turn from your sin to the Savior. Yield control to him. I know that's hard, but that's what God requires. That's what he desires. And then you can be assured that you are part of his plan and you'll be carrying out, he will be carrying out his plan in your life as that relationship with him blossoms and grows and your trust increases, your faith grows. You begin to understand more about the word of God and who God is. And and it really drives you back to your knees in humility to understand why would God do this for me? And so I pray that if there's any here today who's yet to trust Christ, today may be the day. And for us believers, I just pray that we'd be reminded this Christmas season is an awesome time to reach out to those around us with the gospel of Christ. Maybe it's through a card or a gift or a word, a meal together, whatever it might be. I pray that you would open up doors of opportunity that we could bless others. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen. Amen.